The Apalachicola River is one of the most essential rivers of the southeastern United States. It is the largest river in Florida thanks to its depth. The St. Johns River is much longer but much more shallow. The Apalachicola is a powerful river forming at the confluence of two bigger rivers, the Chattahoochee and the Flint Rivers that ramble through Georgia until colliding and forming our Apalachicola. It is named for a native group that lived in this area for millennia until colonizers took Florida and in the 1800s they were moved to Oklahoma, then known as Indian Territory, along with tens of thousands of other native persons. The river remained and bears their name still to this day. It is one of the most important rivers ecologically as well because it serves as a bridge between the Gulf of Mexico and the great runoff of the Appalachian Mountains much further north. This river feeds and serves one of the most ecologically diverse areas of Florida with unique marshes, meadows, and deciduous forests exploding along their banks. Though logging left its mark along the curves of this river, some pockets remain untouched, making them an increasingly valuable part of our state's ecosystem. But one of its great strengths is how many smaller rivers jut off the main flow of the Apalachicola. Many of the rivers of North Florida are merely offshoots of one of Florida's finest. That is true of the river we'll be discussing today, the Chipola River. The Chipola River is a tributary of the Apalachicola and somehow runs through half a dozen counties through North Florida. You've likely never heard of the Chipola River, especially if you're not from the Panhandle. I certainly hadn't, but it holds a few unusual distinctions. One such distinction is its connection to an area called the Dead Lakes. The Dead Lakes are a natural water impoundment at the mouth of the Chipola River, where sand deposits from the Apalachicola build up these sandbars that create this 83-acre spot of water with little to no current within. It is perfect for boating and fishing called dead because the water doesn't rush along the sides of your boat. It's quiet and peaceful. That is not the case beneath the surface of the Chipola, however, where 60 natural freshwater springs dump clean, flowing, bright Florida water into the river, the most springs in one river in that region of Florida. That's a lot of movement and a lot of flowing water for one area. You'll need to remember that for later. The river, alongside its ecological prominence, has long been the site of some of Florida's most troubling history. Notably, during the wars for native removal in the 19th century, many figures involved found themselves around or near this body of water. It is said that in 1818, the Battle of Upper Chipola took place. The conflict was between Brigadier General William McIntosh and a band of native persons who had set up an encampment in that area. McIntosh himself was once a chief in the Creek Nation who joined up with the American Army and fought alongside the United States in the First Seminole War. McIntosh's band fought, and the enemy retreated, apparently breaking up, quote, one of the largest warring bands of the Chattahoochee and Apalachicola rivers, end quote. With that group broken up, it allowed Andrew Jackson, future territorial governor of Florida and future president, to lead troops into the eastern part of Florida. The conflict at Upper Chipola is not an oft-discussed one, but an essential one nonetheless. Death had come to this sleepy river, and it wouldn't be the last time. If the stories are true, 20 years later, a young woman would be buried there, and a legend would be born. There is an innumerable variety of ghosts in this world, 
read any collection of ghost stories, listen to any ghost tour tales, watch any episode of a ghost show, and you will see that the things that people see in the shadows can look as different as human beings are. Depending on where you are visiting, ghosts can feel like they're part of the backdrop, dressed like soldiers at a battlefield, or a child at an old school, or Henry Flagler walking the halls of the building where he died. There is rarely unity from story to story, rarely something that connects them to one another, barring a few exceptions. Today we'll be talking about one of those. Around the world, for the last several centuries, in every corner and in every place, people have seen spirits that fit the exact same archetype. The woman in white. Northern Florida is fraught with women in white spirits, and none perhaps quite so frightening or as popular as the one that drifts over the Chipola River. She is called the Bride of Bellamy Bridge. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This is the conservation season, and this is our Halloween episode. To celebrate my favorite holiday, I want to tell you about a very special ghost story, one of the best, and how the rivers of Florida can connect our spirits and bring them to life. A quick warning before we get into this episode. It is a Halloween episode, so we're going to be discussing death a lot in this episode, but I'm giving you a little warning because there's also going to be a brief discussion of death by suicide and discussion of America's history of slavery. If those two topics are too much for you, now is a good time to step away from the haunted tales ahead. If you're ready, let's begin. In the furthest, dark reaches of the Florida Panhandle, far from where the highway rambles by, there are towns nestled along the border between our state and Georgia to the north. West of Lake Seminole and north of Panama City, the Chipola River rambles through the Florida forest toward the Florida Caverns State Park, the only state park in Florida with guided cave tours. There's a lot to explore in these back corners, but the Bellamy Bridge Heritage Trail is one of the most exciting. Years ago, there was a bridge that crossed over the river called the Bellamy Bridge. It's been years since that bridge actually functioned. Today, only a metal structure remains, with the Chipola River pacing by below. As if the rusting bridge wasn't unsettling enough, the stories of this corner of the woods could chase anyone back to the lights of the nearby town of Mariana. This bridge is apparently covered in paranormal sightings. People have seen all sorts of things out in these woods. Some folks describe seeing balls of light, sometimes made of pure white energy, and sometimes appearing like a ball of flame drifting from the sky. Some people don't see a bride at all, but some people see human apparitions. There are reports of a spectral wagon rattling along the bridge, and some say he occasionally appears without a head, Florida's own headless horseman. Others see the ghost of a true event in history, the murder of a moonshiner in the early 1900s. His name was Sylvester Hart, and when some of his supply of moonshine went missing, he accused other brewers of nabbing his supply. In the heat of the argument, Sylvester was murdered by his own cousin, 
his body collapsing in the woods. Many point to Sylvester as the cause of so many of the ghost sightings along Bellamy Bridge, but he's not the headliner. He's not the star. The real star of the legend of Bellamy Bridge is the bride. Her name was Elizabeth, we know that for certain. The story goes that she had just been married to a doctor named Samuel Bellamy. She was the daughter of a planter, meaning she grew up in extreme wealth. Samuel had apparently built a mansion in Florida for his new wife to savor and cultivate after their wedding day. The town of Mariana was still in its earliest years, a booming agricultural town, most of their profit coming from the unpaid labor of enslaved Africans. Elizabeth and Samuel went down to Mariana and were married in the rose garden of their new mansion on May 11th, 1837. As the tale goes, in the celebration of their wedding, Elizabeth's dress came into close proximity of flame. Whether by a fireplace or a candle, we don't know for certain, though a fireplace in Florida in May would certainly be strange. Either way, Elizabeth's body was consumed in flame. Elizabeth ran, screaming in anguish, and died from her horrible injuries a few days later. She was buried by the edge of the Chipola River, not far from the mansion where her love was sealed and her life was ended. One version of this story says that her wedding vows and her last words were the same. Quote, I will love you always and forever. Never will I leave you. End quote. According to legend, Elizabeth kept her vows, and soon the bride began to emerge from the swamps of the Chipola River and roam the wilderness, searching for her husband, desperately hoping to return to his side. All the other spirits are important to the bridge's tale, but Elizabeth is the first ghost of Bellamy. It's named for her and her husband. It's said that the first sightings of Elizabeth's spirit on the banks of the river date back as far as 1890, nearly 60 years after her death, but 130 years ago. On the night of Halloween, locals still take tours out to Bellamy Bridge, looking for Elizabeth, hoping to write their own chapter of her story. What makes Elizabeth unique, in my mind, is the distinct similarity she bears to an innumerable amount of ghost stories around the world. The phenomenon that she is a part of is called the women in white. You've almost certainly heard of a woman in white story yourself. There's spectral women on the side of the road, they're standing on balconies or lighthouses looking out for a missing lover or a missing family member, they're seen wandering the woods or swamps of a nearby town or pacing the steps of an old church or schoolhouse. They're always searching, always looking for something that they cannot find. And Florida has plenty of its own women in white, many of which have been collected by an old friend of mine. Her name is actually Elizabeth Randall, and she was, in fact, my high school senior year English teacher. I didn't realize this when I sent her a message, but we soon realized that, indeed, <laughs> she was my old teacher. My name is Elizabeth Randall. I'm a retired teacher with Seminole County Public Schools, and I've been a writer part-time really all my life but now that I've retired I've been doing it full-time and I really enjoy it how uh bizarre is it to be speaking to a former student of yours all these years later and he's now a writer 
I, Nick, I find it extremely gratifying. <laughs> <laughs> I do keep in touch with some of my students. They're nurses. Uh, some of them are in finance. But I think you're the first one I've stumbled back across that is a writer, and I'm very happy to hear that. She's very kind. I'm not so sure I was the best student when it came to English class throughout the years. <laughs> I'm just glad she answered my email. I reached out because Elizabeth did collect dozens of ghost stories of women in white in Florida and compiled them in a book called Women in White, The Haunting of Northeast Florida. Despite writing about ghosts in more than one book, Elizabeth admits she isn't exactly a believer. Ghost books... I have always approached from an educational perspective because you and I were talking earlier about how I'm skeptical about ghosts. And my husband and I call ourselves ghost agnostics (laughs) uh, because we're not ruling out the possibility, but we ourselves have never seen one. And But the thing about the ghost books that I've written is that there's this abundance of ghost lore in Florida, in Louisiana and other places as well. But it's really very heavy in Florida. And I think it's a cultural thing. I think it's a way of understanding history. It's kind of a metaphor uh for the past and these ghost stories are everywhere and there's a lot of similarities between them not only in florida but throughout america and really throughout the world and women in white is one why do people gravitate toward ghost stories in the first place me i'm a believer i always have been elizabeth isn't but we share the same fascination why is that she shares a quote that i think ties it together very well It's uh, Samuel Johnson from The Life of Samuel Johnson by James Boswell. And he said, It is wonderful that 5,000 years have now elapsed since the creation of the world, and still it is undecided whether or not there has ever been an instance of the spirit of any person appearing after death. All argument is against it, but all belief The legend and the belief will always be at odds with our rational scientific minds, and the women in white legend is a great example of that. Like I said, there are tons of women in white ghost stories. Elizabeth tells me of a few that she collected. The first is set at Kingsley Plantation in northeastern Florida near Jacksonville. It was built in 1797, and for 20 years, it was run by Zephaniah Kingsley and his wife, an enslaved African teenager named Anna. Their spirits are said to roam the grounds today, Anna herself becoming a woman in white. There is also an unusual spirit called Old Red Eyes. And on the Kingsley Plantation, supposedly, there is a spirit called Old Red Eyes, and he kind of haunts the entrance, which is lined in palm trees. He killed several of the slaves on the plantation and keeps coming back to torment the living, supposedly. But that's not your woman in white. Your woman in white is Anna, who actually didn't die at the plantation but she ran it and lived there for many years and sometimes people say they see her standing on the edge of the water you know with her white robes flowing 
We'll have to come back to the story of old red eyes in the future because there's a lot to unpack in that story, including some concerning racist tropes of American history, but we'll come back to that in the future. Anna is a woman in white, a classic ghost story. She roams around and explores the places that she lived in in life, her white clothing visible in the darkness. Another one is at the Spanish military hospital in St. Augustine. Yeah. I think I think it's on Avellas. There's supposed to be a nurse who wanders around there in white. So you can see a women's garb, you know, is white as far as their occupations are concerned or their geographic location. There is certainly something to that. A lot of women in history were nurses who traditionally wore white. A lot of women in white are often seen as brides, but also a lot of them are simply wearing the traditional white linen that was worn in history, perhaps under clothes, under dresses, especially in hotter climates like the Sunshine State. And then there was, I think one of the most famous ones in Florida for the Northeast is the old Homestead Rest Restaurant, which is in Jacksonville Beach. Yeah. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Okay. I think it's Taco Lou now. It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's changed hands a lot. Alpha O Painter, who was the owner of the restaurant, liked to materialize at the top of the stairs and in the background of mirrors. And when I went there, the present owner said, you know, the fireplace was, you know, another place she liked to show up. And then I heard a very credible story from the owner and she said that they used to play basketball in the back the owner and some of the people who were working there uh he put a slab of concrete out back so they could play basketball and one day they were playing and the ball went into the woods and one of the guys went after it and when he came out he just ran back out of the woods crossed the street and never came back so they called him later and said what you know do you want your check because he you know he didn't even come back to work and his mom answered no he's never coming back when he went into the woods he saw a lady half in half out of her grave okay that just gave me a chill (laughs) yeah it was terrible that story literally sent a chill down my spine These stories are frightening and unusual, but so bizarre. Why do we keep seeing the same thing? I ask Elizabeth where she thinks that recurring idea comes from. Why are people so drawn to retelling the same stories of the same kind of person? Well, I can only speculate. Sure. I mean, I'm fine with I'm fine with speculation. If you are, I'm certainly going to speculate in the episode. You remember um, the Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell? Very, very well. I think it might have something to do with that. And if you recall, you know, the hero has to undergo many trials and tribulations. Um, He has to descend into the belly of the whale. And, you know, all sorts of, remember all the magical creatures who appear? The guides that he encounters, the characters, the tropes of 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 the things that the hero sees. You know, and Campbell made the point that this hero's journey is worldwide. It's permeated religion. It's permeated culture, history, you know, and nobody really knows why, but it's similar everywhere. So 
the only thing I can think of, Nick, is that maybe the women in white are accompanying them to the hero's journey. They're those weird creatures that always appear. You know, they're part of something that has to be overcome or confronted. They're familiar because, perhaps, that mythos of the magical, impossible woman in white has always been a part of human culture. But the story of Bellamy Bridge and some of the stories we just told share something else, something that actually holds scientific grounds. If you'll allow me, I'd like to do a little speculation with you. All paranormal theory by its very nature is speculative, nothing is certain, but this is one of the rare theories that unites science directly with the ghost stories and it involves our rivers. So just bear with me on this one. I promise it makes sense. Florida's rivers have long been at war with our human development. We have consistently grappled with the relationship between human expansion and our dependency on water. Rivers in particular are dammed or used for hydroelectric power throughout the peninsula. But running water has always been a part of human life in how we build our cities and how we use them to survive. Some paranormal theorists believe that there is a very, very strong relationship between running water and the supernatural, not just because of our natural human inclination to feel a strong connection to rivers and springs, but an actual scientific explanation. In a scientific analysis written by Lindsay Danielson from St. Mary's University of Minnesota, scientific data is put to the test. Paranormal theorists have long tried to decipher or give meaning to ghosts, especially in the face of skeptics. One long proposed idea is that ghosts have a connection with some kind of residual electromagnetic energy in the area. If you watch any ghost hunting show, you've seen them using machines that are used to detect this electromagnetic energy, and they use that to point to unusual phenomenon in the area. Since water is itself a conductor of electricity, then electromagnetic energy could be conducted through rivers. Therefore, locations near strong sources of flowing water could be the cause of some spectral happenings, if you believe that sort of thing. In the aforementioned analysis, Danielson discusses that some theorists also suggest that limestone is a huge conductor of paranormal activity, alongside quartz and magnetite. The theory is that these types of stones, quote, can store information, such as an historical event. When the information is released, a residual haunting can occur, end quote. A residual haunting, for example, a spectral bride wandering a swamp near her home. But do you know what's under Florida? The structure below the surface of the earth, the rocks that stretch deep below our site, is limestone with water running through it. If paranormal theory holds true, if, if, if limestone can generate more paranormal activity and if running water can generate more paranormal activity, Florida is a hub of two huge causes of supernatural occurrences. As a believer, as a person who wants to think that these scientific things can cause more paranormal theory, I can't help but accept this as some sort of fact. If it isn't, it's at least interesting that both of these theories collide under the surface of Florida. How can you not? The analysis that I'm referencing using data from the show Ghost Hunters does end up suggesting that there's no connection between paranormal sightings and those geological factors, but it is admittedly a limited pool. Ghost Hunters hasn't visited everywhere, and they've never visited Bellamy Bridge. 
The Chipola River, I'll remind you, has tons of these springs, it has tons of this water, and the limestone beneath the surface. I mean, like I said, I'm being speculative, but there's something there. I can just feel it. I think we as human beings have always had some sort of emotional connection to rivers. Something about them is really attractive to us, especially here in Florida. I love rivers. I always have. And just seeing them or being on them, you feel like you're part of something bigger. When you hear ghost stories connected to rivers like this, to deep running water, to springs coming from beneath the surface, there is something ethereal about that. And it feels very connected at the Chipola River. So all of these factors come together. Limestone, running water, springs, a lot of history baked in at the Bellamy Bridge. But there's one thing missing from the story, something vital. The most important thing you need to know about the legend of the Bride of Bellamy Bridge is that most of her story has been fabricated. Let's start with the things we know for sure. There was indeed a married couple named Samuel and Elizabeth Bellamy, both coming from the Southern aristocracy. They were married young in 1834, three whole years earlier than in the legend as it is usually presented. And they did indeed move down to Florida afterwards, along with Samuel's brother and Elizabeth's sister, who were themselves married to each other. Both purchased plantations in the area near Bellamy Bridge and the town of Mariana. Elizabeth and Samuel are reported to have had 80 enslaved persons on their plantation after they moved to Florida. This area around the Chipola was strong for farming, especially sugar and cotton. The high water and the rich swamps provided nutrients alongside mosquitoes that swarmed the area. Actual documentation from the time, including from newspapers featuring letters written by Samuel, state that Elizabeth Bellamy actually died of a fever in 1837 at the age of 18. There was no fire. Perhaps it would make a more interesting story. There was only the same condition that took so many lives in Florida at this time. Her son, Alexander, died of a fever as well, and by all accounts, they were both buried by the Chipola River near the site that would become Bellamy Bridge. That we know for sure. Samuel, her widower, lived 16 more years until, apparently, he, quote, took his own life in 1853 by cutting his own throat with a razor at Chattahoochee, Florida, end quote. But how did it all get changed? When did the fever become a fire? Well, it was more that a fictional story got tattooed onto the legend of Elizabeth's life. A novelist in the 1800s named Caroline Lee Hentz lived in Jackson County, where the bridge is located. She wrote tales of the South, often saying the stories were based on true events. In one book, she tells the story of a wedding wherein the bride is, you guessed it, accidentally caught aflame in her dress and dies from her injuries. In the novel, the event occurred at a place called Bellamy Plantation, though the book itself is set in Georgia. It's not supposed to be the plantation owned by Samuel and Elizabeth Bellamy. It was essentially happenstance that she named it Bellamy. And the victim in the story was not the wife of the plantation owner. It was actually an enslaved woman who was living on the plantation named Cora. So the story changes. Cora becomes Elizabeth. The fictional Bellamy Plantation becomes the real one. The fever becomes a fire and a death becomes a ghost story, just like that. 
In his excellent book, Ghostland, author Colin Dickey explores ghost stories around the United States and their relationship to the troubling history and the locations around them. One theory he suggests early in the book why Americans in particular have such a strong relationship to ghost stories is because ghost stories represent unwritten stories and forgotten people. Quote, ghost stories are a way of talking about things we're not otherwise allowed to discuss, a forbidden history we thought bricked up safely in the walls. End quote. That feels especially relevant in the story surrounding the Bride of Bellamy Bridge. Slavery in the South, in Florida, is part of our history. It is part of so many countless tragedies in our country. That legacy, that context, runs deep in the ghost story, in the tale of the Bride of Bellamy Bridge, especially when you consider how the story changed from fact to fiction to legend. Beneath the surface of Florida is all this water, the same water that feeds our rivers and connects all of us. Our ghost stories are a lot like that. Sometimes they ramble out of sight beneath us until they emerge. And sometimes that can be beautiful, and sometimes it can be unsettling, knowing that they have always been there just waiting to emerge. Florida would not exist without the water running in those caves far below our feet. It is just a part of what we are. Our history, the haunting parts, the frightening parts, the scary parts. They are just as much knit into what we are as the water below. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. If you're brand new to the show or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some wonderful stories waiting for you. I'm a big lover of ghost stories of scary tales and I've certainly written a lot in the last couple of years. So I've included some links to all of our big Halloween episodes in the last couple of years. You're going to love them to get you in the spooky mood as we approach Halloween on Sunday. If you are looking for Wait 5 Minutes, there is a website just for you. Go to WFMPod.com for transcripts of current episodes, additional photographs related to stories and photos from my trips around the state. I'll be updating past transcripts as well so you can go back and revisit your favorite previous episode in new ways. Head to WFMPod.com for more. You can now pick up Wait 5 Minutes merchandise at Cast and Clay on Etsy. Cast and Clay is run by one of my best friends, Sophie Aparicio, who designed each of these stickers along the rest of their catalog. We've got a Drink More Water sticker, a Wait 5 Minutes sticker, and a sticker featuring the show subtitle about Florida by a Floridian. Grab them individually or as a set of three at Cast and Clay on Etsy. Head to the link in the description of this episode to pick up your WFM merch now. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps the show become more visible, and it means a lot to me. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I'd like to give a very special thank you to Elizabeth Randall for her insight and conversation about the women in white. You can pick up her book of ghost stories at the link in the description and check out more of the books that she has written there 
as well. I've included a link in the description as well to the main sources for this episode. There is lots of research from the area about the Bellamy Bridge, about the true tale, about the ghost story. So go check out those links. And if you're in the area around Halloween, I believe they will be doing ghost tours. Go check it out and send me pictures if you pay them a visit. All right, we are officially beginning November next Monday. It will be November 1st. I'm very excited about it. I've got a few stories on the horizon that you are going to love, but next week is going to be a very exciting history tale. We are going to be talking about the Civilian Conservation Corps, one of the most interesting and important organizations in American history, and we'll be discussing the impact that they had on the Florida ecosystem. You're going to love it. So tune in next Monday for that fascinating adventure. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. Get vaccinated to help support your community around you and look into getting your booster shot if that is available to you. And of course, as always, drink more water and have a very happy Halloween.